You are listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickaruk, episode 30. Hello, Teacher Brains. Last week, I shared an awesome memory technique called the Loci Method or Mind Palace. And if you haven't listened to that one, then definitely go back after this one and do so. Um, And in there, as practice and illustration of how that method works, I used the example of 10 healthy brain habits. Um, So did you try them with me? Do you remember the 10 things? Do you remember your 10 locations? Today I wanted to talk about habits. Habit formation, habit pruning, like breaking a habit, or more accurately, habit replacement. Um, Of course, how our brains are involved, and how making mega gains, how to make mega gains with tiny little shifts. So, Let me ask you, what is a habit or some habits that you have? And would you consider them good habits or bad habits? Do you know how they got formed? Have you ever tried to break a bad habit? Did it work? If so, do you know how you did it? If not, do you know why you weren't successful? Well, let's first by uh, let's first start by uh, defining what a habit is. So, I'm referring to a habit as an automatic behavior that occurs without much conscious thought. And remember, most of our daily decisions and actions are habits. We know that from previous episodes um, that eighty to ninety percent of our daily decisions and actions are made from our subconscious, the things that have been automated, like our habits which make up about half of our day. Our habits are half of our day. And this is an important energy and time-saving mechanism that our brain has developed. Some common habits that people have are things like biting their nails, twirling their hair around their finger, brushing their teeth twice a day, keeping a gratitude journal, working out, practicing random acts of kindness, locking the car door when you get in the passenger seat, turning the lights on when you enter a room. Um, Some people, you know, date the same kind of person over and over. Um, Eating a giant bowl of ice cream every night after their daughter goes to sleep. So how do these habits get formed in the first place? Well, according to a few habit experts, namely James Clear, BJ Fogg, and Charles Duhigg, There's something called a habit loop. A habit loop involves three or four, depending on whose description you go with, components. So there's a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. Or a cue, routine, reward. So let's take this ice cream habit that I may or may not have developed over the past couple of months. Um, On night one. We leave my daughter's room after putting her to bed and go into the living room to watch TV, which is a habit that we have. The cue for my new habit, about to be formed new habit, would be the squeak of the freezer door opening and my husband kindly asking, do you want some ice cream? My craving for that ice cream is stimulated. My response or action or behavior is yes, please, followed by my eating of the ice cream. And my reward is obviously the heavenly deliciousness of the ice cream itself. Neurologically speaking, my brain gets a hit of dopamine as its its reward chemical. Um, It's sort of metaphorical bowl of ice cream. And now 
it's looking for more of what gave it that hit of dopamine in the first place. And so the next night after my daughter is asleep, we head into the living room and the same pattern occurs. By night three, I'm already anticipating the ice cream by the time we get into the living room before I hear that freezer door squeak. And as this routine continues, that cue and craving moves earlier and earlier into the evening, the afternoon, and then the morning so that eventually when I wake up, I find myself wondering what kind of ice cream my husband bought at the grocery store run the day before and my mouth starts watering. And a mirror effect is kind of happening in my brain with its dopamine flavored ice cream, where the first times that I indulged in the late night ice cream, the rewarding hit of dopamine came after the response of eating it. But as I continued the routine, that hit of dopamine starts coming closer and closer to the response of eating the ice cream and eventually precedes it so that the anticipation of the behavior stimulates the dopamine reward and then I'm hooked. It's kind of like Pavlov's dog, I suppose. The basal ganglia in your brain plays a large part in this automation as it controls movement, emotion, cognition, and reward-based learning also known as the components of the habit loop. So in other words, your decision-making prefrontal cortex goes on sleep mode and your subconscious takes over. Now, as Dr. Shannon Irvin has taught us through her neurocoaching model, derived in part um, from, and uh, derived in part from brain scans, we know that our decisions are made based on our beliefs. Our beliefs run automatically in our subconscious brain, and our automated beliefs become our identity, which drives our actions and gets our results. So our habits are connected to our beliefs and our identity, which makes sense because they all live in our subconscious. And you wouldn't build a habit if you didn't believe that you were the type of person who fill in the blank habit. So or you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't believe that you were the person who could, you, you had the ability to do that habit. So like I wouldn't have developed the habit of eating late night bowls of ice cream if my identity was that of someone who didn't snack after 7 p.m. or didn't consume sugar, for example. Now these beliefs are possible to rewire, and we've talked about that in previous examples as well, or episodes as well. And in fact, um, I'm working on embodying the identity of someone who does not partake in snacks later than 7 p.m. and someone who does not consume processed sugar. So, how am I going to break this ice cream habit? Well, breaking a habit is actually a bit of a fallacy in a way. We don't really break a habit. More accurately and effectively, we replace one habit with another. And this is good news because then it's just one process and you don't have to go through it twice. You just kind of develop a new habit. And so I'm working on breaking the habit of partaking in the late night bowl of ice cream after my daughter is asleep by replacing it with a new habit of brushing my teeth. So I chose brushing my teeth as sort of the anti-habit to eating ice cream because I am the kind of person who does not eat after I've brushed my teeth. So that belief and identity is locked in. So it it provides a strong foundation on which I can attach my new habit. Now, it's not as easy as it sounds, like most things I've shared here. Simple, yes. Easy, not necessarily. 
In fact, the research shows that it takes anywhere between 18 and 254 days to form and or break a habit. Essentially, coming down to the depth of the emotional connection to the habit and the motivation for doing it or breaking it. The average is 66 days. So no coincidence that the rewiring process in the neurocoaching model is 67 days. So it stands to reason that the speed and success with which you are able to break and form a habit is connected to how badly you want to break or form that habit. So there's a great quote from Samuel Johnson that says, the chains of habits are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. So my motivation to break my ice cream habit is spurred by the fact that my pants are getting too tight and uncomfortable and because I spend I spend a lot of time and energy in the in eating healthily the rest of the day and I, I even get up extra early to work out every morning. And I feel annoyed with myself for counteracting that every night. And I had thought that for a long time, but until I felt it deeply enough to call it quits, I could not break that habit. So there are a few things that I needed to do to pry myself away from the ice cream and establish the new patterns of behavior of brushing my teeth instead. So firstly, I needed to state my identity as someone who does not eat ice cream past 7 p.m. and, and step into that. Right? Remember, be, do, have in that order. First, I must embody the be. Obviously, I am not yet that person, but that's the whole point. You must think and be as if you are that person before you can become that person. <laughs> so I remind myself, I prime that into my brain. Brain priming is uh, a part of the coaching process that I do with my clients that really gets in there and creates those big gains that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So I say, and you always want to use asset language, like positive terminology. So your brain doesn't recognize not and don't, which is why when you're about to walk on a stage, for example, and you're thinking, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, your brain is visualizing yourself tripping on the stair and you and down you go. So it doesn't know the don't part. It just picks up the trip. That's what it's visualizing. So I wanted to find a statement like, it is easy for me to say no to food after 7 p.m. It is easy for me to say no to sugar. So I'm priming my brain for success. And not only am I priming in that I don't eat that stuff, I'm priming in that it is easy not to want it. Now, with that belief, it becomes easier to deny myself the ice cream because I have primed my mindset in a way. Now, the key is hacking the loop. So to do this, I'm going to engage a few more brain tricks, um, the next one being deciding in advance. So this will address the cue component of the loop. My decision is, when I'm offered the ice cream, which is the cue, I will say, no thank you. Now I know that sounds trivial, but habits are formed in tiny increments. And in fact, BJ Fogg's teaching is called Tiny Habits and James Clear's stuff is entitled Atomic Habits. So these tiny shifts have mega payoffs. So deciding my response in advance breaks the loop and disrupts the habit. However, since my cue for the ice cream 
moved earlier and earlier into our nighttime routine, I needed to find an earlier spot to insert my advanced decision. So I made the decision that instead of walking into the living room from my daughter's bedroom after putting her to sleep, I would instead walk into my bathroom to brush my teeth. So now the routine component of the habit is disrupted as well. And my new routine is established. The reward is the same to my brain. It's getting, it's getting the dopamine hit from my accomplishment of the behavior that I planned. And if I add a bit of celebration in there, we know what that does, like a, a mental high five or props in the mirror or something, I can double down on my dopamine hit and enjoy the, a rush of serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins as well. So if you, if you haven't heard about that, go over to episode one after this where I talk about celebration. So when the cue of the squeaky freezer door is now initiated, at first, my brain runs through, oh, ice cream, and then I've already brushed my teeth. And then uh, when I'm asked, I will say no thank you. So it has a process to follow, which it likes because it's familiar and it's safe. I also added more of a buffer by requesting that my husband not prompt or tempt me with the offer of ice cream anymore which is a veritable recipe for success. So in my new loop, my cue is daughter is asleep. The routine is I walk into my bathroom and brush my teeth. My reward is clean teeth and I don't have to do it later. Plus no late night ice cream and my pants fit again and dopamine. Some other things to consider in forming and breaking habits are making it as simple as possible to achieve your desired behavior and as difficult as possible to achieve your undesired behavior. So not having ice cream in the house is the f- in the first place would make it much more difficult for me to eat ice cream. And the more difficult it is to achieve something, then the less likely your brain is to want to do it. So remember, it wants to keep you in the safe and familiar. So putting up those barriers in between you and the undesired thing is one of Uh, the great ways to break or replace a habit. So if you're trying to work out every morning, you want to set out your clothes the night before. If you want to floss more often or at all, put the floss out right beside your toothbrush. Reduce the number of steps it takes to achieve the thing that you want to achieve. So I talked about tiny shifts and mentioned atomic habits. And this is the idea that it all starts super small. So in the case of flossing, which is something that most people need to do more of, um, you decide in advance, after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. So if you want to work out in the morning, you might start with, after I get up and brush and floss my teeth, I will put on my workout clothes. And if you want to start reading more, you might plan to like open the book or read one paragraph. So the idea being that once you've done that one tiny or atomic thing, you're unlikely to stop there. You'll probably end up flossing all of your teeth. You'll probably go downstairs in your workout clothes. You'll probably read another paragraph. But the key is that you don't raise the bar. Okay, so the decision is is to just say no thank you to the author of ice cream. And if 
I eat the ice cream anyway after I've said no thank you, I've still achieved the no thank you response. So my brain still got the dopamine from hit from that. And so next time I'm more likely to refrain from eating the ice cream after I say no thank you. But that's just a bonus. You don't change the goal, which was saying no thank you. So you can further hack the cue by setting up a cue for yourself on purpose. So for example, if you want to drink more water, you might set an alarm on your phone or to remind you, or you might ask a family member or a friend to remind you to do something, um, like take your vitamins. But the only issue with those types of pattern uh, prompts or cues is that they, they come from external sources. And so over time, they can become invisible or inaudible. You sort of learn to tune them out and they lose their effectiveness. So we know that true transformation comes from within. So you can implement something called habit stacking. And it's kind of like the loci technique for habit. It's kind of like the loci technique for habit formation. So it's where you take a new habit and you stack it on top of a well-established existing habit. Just like in the loci method where you take something you want to remember and you attach it to a well-established location that you, you already know. So going back to the flossing example, most people brush their teeth every day. It's not something that you'd likely sporadically or forget to do or whatever. So we take that new desired habit of flossing, which has strong motivation to implement because it's linked to overall health and has been proven to extend your life like so crazy that we can't remember to do it maybe it's because it's not a desirable activity it hurts sometimes although less the more you do it ironically it's annoying you choose you like lose circulation in your fingers from wrapping that floss around them and it flings white crap all over the mirror anyway we want to floss but we don't remember but we always brush so these two things are connected in that they happen inside your mouth. So it's a good link to create. So decide in advance that after you brush, you will floss one tooth. That's your tiny microatomic habit. Now you've removed the barriers by uh, to flossing by laying out the floss next to your toothbrush in advance or wrapping the darn thing around the toothbrush or however you're going to make it easy to access. So now when you brush your teeth, which is the cue, you pick up your floss and you floss one tooth, which is the behavior. But once that tooth is flossed, your brain kicks up the dopamine, right? And you give yourself some props and you think, hmm, that wasn't so bad. The floss is already entangled around my digits anyway. I may as well keep going. And before you know it, you're an avid flosser. You've extended your life by years. People are commenting all over town and your dentist hangs up a picture of you on the wall in her office with a plaque under it saying, model patient and expert flosser. <laughs> the same goes for working out in the morning. So you've laid out your clothes the night before. That was your decision in advance. Um, and you're removing the barriers. Your, your tiny habit is to put said clothes on. And you've decided to stack that habit onto your dental care regime. So because, you know, now you're a daily flosser. So by so you've stacked it. So after in your head, you said, after I brush and floss my teeth, I will put on my workout clothes. Now, by the time you're dressed for your workout, you decide you might as well go downstairs and do it. But maybe the first day, that's as far as you make it. You get distracted by something down there. And before you know it, you're four craft projects deep into your day. 
The next day, you get downstairs, push play on your workout video, do a couple reps, and then you get a text message. But the third day, you get farther into the workout, and so it continues until you're like a workout machine and inspire your friends to build their own habits of daily exercise and tooth flossing. (laughs) The beauty thing is, research has shown that forming habits in this way, in tiny micro-atomic steps, and choosing one thing to focus on at a time for 66-ish days, translates into other areas of your life. So once you start flossing on the regular, your motivation to improve in other areas amps up as well. Now you're flossing and working out. And since you worked out, you might as well not eat the ice cream because you don't want to undo all the hard work from your workout and you don't want those sugar bugs nesting in and destroying your incisors. Your dentist might remove your picture from the wall and what would your fans think? So is there one habit that you have wanted to break? What habit would you like to replace that with? What, who would you need to be in order to be successful in forming that new habit? What is the cue to your new current undesired, sorry, what is the cue to your current undesired habit? And what decisions are you going to make in advance when faced with that cue? What cue are you going to establish for your new habit? How could you break that down into a first tiny behavior that would be nearly impossible to fail at? And what stable foundation can you stack that on? I'd love to hear your ideas, your progress, the habits you have or want. So interesting. So I'd love if you would post a screenshot of this episode on your Instagram or Facebook account and tag me at teaching little brains, sorry, teaching.little.brains on Instagram and teaching little brains on Facebook with what you're going to try. And thank you so much again for joining me today. You have been listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickrek. Until next week, be kind, be safe and come back next week. Bye for now.